This is Leva Bates, AEW's librarian, co-host of the Geek Soapbox, renowned Twitch partner, and a two-time Flower City Comic Con guest. And you are listening to Gaming Street Irregulars. But you better listen to my show first. I'm just saying. Thanks. Good afternoon, good evening, good whatever time of day it is when you hear this. Welcome yet again to Gaming Street Irregulars. My name is James Iris, joined... Oh, oh, that's right. Chrissy's not here, still. Her internet is still down. Hopefully we'll have her back next week. But in the meantime, I am joined by the emergency host, ladies and gentlemen, our dear friend, welcome back, Justin Toner. Hey, James. Thanks for having me back. Thought I could help out going while uh, Chrissy's getting her uh, me. stuff set up in her uh, new place. So she just moved this week. Yeah, yeah believe me. It's it's a relief. Uh, I don't think I could talk to myself for 45 minutes <laughs> and not be considered a completely crazy person. No, no, that's, that's not healthy. <laughs> I, I barely made six minutes with la- the last podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so today we're talking about a game series uh, pretty near and dear to our respective hearts, Koei's Dynasty Warriors games, and we will uh, start breaking that series down uh, after the break, but before we do, here's the Tencent version of the actual history, or rather the fictionalized history that is based on the actual history that these games are themselves based on. In the year 184 AD, the later Han Dynasty falls into disarray as the Yellow Turban Rebellion is quelled by local officers. Just afterward, Dong Zhuo declares himself the Emperor's protector and takes control of the capital, and many of those same officers unite under the leadership of Yuan Shao to kick him out. They don't actually wind up killing him, that's accomplished by his adopted son, Lu Bu, thanks to manipulations of Dao Chan. Eventually, China just falls into complete civil war as officers become warlords and battle for control, eventually giving way to three distinct kingdoms. Wei in the north, ruled by Cao Cao at first, then his son Cao Pei. Shu to the west, led by Liu Bei and eventually his son Liu Shan, and Wu to the southeast ruled by Sun Quan. Eventually, the kingdom of Jin arises from within Wei, led by Sima Yi and his sons Shi and Zhao, and they eventually unite China once again around the year 280 AD. So again, that's the Tencent version. (laughs) This is a very, very deep history centered around that whole time period of nearly 100 years. And it was novelized into a book called Romance of the Three Kingdoms, which is nearly three times larger 
then the book Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, which is itself a doorstopper of a book. Yeah. It's uh, over 800,000 words, 120 chapters, and over 1,000 characters, most of them based on historical people from that time period. It's so it's like it's dense, <laughs> but it's also very popular. Yeah. yeah, it's considered one of the most influential and famous books of Chinese literature, period. And as a matter of fact, we'll be discussing one of the other famous works of Chinese literature and its impact on popular culture over on the Cartoon Podcast. As Pembroke and I are going to be taking a look at the original Dragon Ball very shortly, which is, of course, derived from Journey to the West. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the Romance of Three Kingdoms was published um, much later after the the Three Kingdoms uh, era happened. I think it was um, once the end of the 1400s. So it was like uh, over a thousand years later. That the, Basically. The, so which is why that's like, you know, it's... Um, I think the Romance of the Three Kingdoms today would be classified as historical fiction, where it's taking historical events but embellishing things that happened and uh, people and characters motivations since uh, you can only go by what's written down as like happened. So it's like, then you, the, then you fill in the blanks <laughs> to try to entertain and, people. And wow, did those blanks get filled in and we'll discuss the how and how it relates to the games right after this break. Kind of the main protagonist of the uh, unofficial story, at least as far as the publishing of games based on this time period goes. They made the first game based on Romance of the Three Kingdoms in 1985, releasing it for computers in Japan in December of that year namely the PC-88 and the MSX standard, uh, which is kind kind of like the DOS standard was here in the States. Mm -hmm. And it would eventually show up on the NES and get localized Mm -hmm. here for the U.S. And they would iterate on it and iterate on it and iterate on it all the way up to the modern day. But around 1997, they released a spin-off of all of this mm-hmm. called Dynasty Warriors and this was on the PlayStation 1 coming out in Japan in February of 97 and North America in June of that year and it was as far a departure from anything Koi had done as you could think of because instead of this long elaborate simulation of a of a historical war period where mm-hmm. you're mostly watching numbers rise and fall those numbers being uh, representations of troops mm-hmm. and resources 
it was a one-on-one fighting game, not unlike Tekken or Soul Calibur, uh, nay, Soul Edge at that point, or, or Virtual Fighter. And at that point, the cast was only 16 total characters, six of them were unlockable, and two of them had nothing to do with the Three Kingdoms era of China. Do you care to guess who those two characters were, Justin? Um, is it Meng Ho? Uh, nope. Th- these are characters who weren't even in China. Uh, no, I can't remember. I'll probably what you say. Think I'll about the remember. other. Think about the other historical period Koei loves to explore in their games. Oh, <laughs> yeah, the Sengoku period from in Japan. Um. Oh, I'm drawing a blank. <laughs> It'll, be It'll be Nobunaga Oda and Hideyoshi Toyotomi. Uh, of course. But the actual uh, participants from the Three Kingdoms period of China for this game were, weren't were even divided in terms of factions. They were just laid out on a character select screen. Here they are. At, at the start, you had access yeah. to Guan Yu, Zhang Fei, Zhao Yun... Jahudun, Dian Wei, Zhu Shu, Lu Jun, Taishi Chi, Zhou Yu, and Dao Chan. And the unlockable characters were Zhuge Liang, Cao Cao, Sun Sheng Zhang, and Lu Bu. <laughs> Along with those two figures from Japanese history I just mentioned a moment ago. Wow, it's uh, quite the starting lineup for the first game, and it's only gotten... Larger and larger as the years have gone by with uh, each uh, Dynasty Warriors release. It's like the the trope loads and loads of characters definitely applies to this game series. Absolutely. At this point, we're up to Dynasty Warriors 9 on, on modern consoles. And I'm trying to find the number of characters for that one. Uh, at this point, it's got to be over 70 I think it is. I'm just I'm looking at the list. <laughs> oh, but it's it's huge. I think it's like somewhere between eighty and ninety characters. It's ridiculous. <laughs> hmm. That's why you can spend a lot of time with these games if you want to like get everything for every single character. You're going to be you're gonna be doing a lot of time and a lot of work. <laughs> but the series as we know it today would crystallize with the 2000 release of Dynasty Warriors two or Shin Sengoku Muso in Japan. Now that's actually one of the quirks of the series in that mm-hmm. we consider in the in the West the Dynasty Warriors line to be basically uninterrupted be- from that first PlayStation one-on-one fighting game all through to the PlayStation 2 mass hack and slash title mm-hmm. and onward, whereas in Japan the first PlayStation 2 title is considered new Sengoku, Mu- Sengoku Muso. Mm-hmm. And the numbering starts there as with that, that game as the first one. So whatever we consider to be 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6 here in the States, you can subtract a number in Japan to get their equivalent. So our Dynasty Warriors 5 is there Shin Sengoku Muso 4, mm-hmm. and so on. But it's that first game where we actually start getting into the real story elements again, mm-hmm. where you start to see 
the majority of the of the most famous members of the cast are introduced. We've now got mm-hmm. Liu Bei and Sun Jian and Sun Quan, Dong Zhuo, Yuan Shao, Zhang Jiao, who of course leads the Yellow Turban Rebellion. Mm-hmm. And each story mode taken from the perspective of each of the main three kingdoms, Shu, Wei, and Wu. Yeah, and in the later series, they added more where you could play from Lu Bu's perspective, and then um, eventually um, the Simi Yi and his family's perspective, the, the, Jin, the eventual Jin dynasty. So it's like you get like beyond the, the original three kingdoms, it's like there's, they add a lot more stuff over time in later releases. So you and I jumped into the series around Dynasty Warriors 4. Yeah, I remember you uh, telling me about this game. It's like we both had the, well, it's like, you had the, just, you had the original Xbox at the time. Was it? Was it? Uh, I, no, I, I had the PlayStation 2 at the time. Oh, you did? Okay. All right, so we both had the I PlayStation 2. I didn't jump 2. onto Xbox until the 360 era. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's like, I remember you, uh, you tell me that you, it's like you picked up this game and, and it's like and you recommended i try it out and after uh playing it with you i was like well it's like i eventually got my own copy and after that i was hooked as someone uh, who loves history i was very fascinated by like the historical context of the game and just like um the characters and like the voice acting some of it good some of it not so good <laughs> but um, oh yeah we were right at home <laughs> yeah and um it just like how like some of the characters for I mean like um I liked uh Guan Yu and um I, I liked Wei a lot. It's like I was I, I really got into like the a lot of the Wei characters, you know, Sao Sao and Jiao Du and Jiao Yuan. Um just because I like how the voice are created and uh and the other thing I liked about the series was that um obviously it probably changes too from what happened in history. You had like a lot of female characters who could be able to you could play you know, Sun Shang Jiang and Dao Chan and many others who can be you can be able to play as them and they can get action and they can be able to, you know, <laughs> kick ass just like the male characters, which is which is nice. And I liked how just how the 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 system, you know, it's like it's you know, yeah, it's like you're you're cutting down swarms and swarms of enemies, but you know, it's like you, you have all these special attacks you can use to do more damage, you got the um, was the Muso special attack introduced in this one, or was that five? It it, it was a it was in there from the from the second game. Okay, okay. Where you had this meter you charge up to do this like really long powerful attack that can be able to kill mooks instantly and or severely damage like a boss uh, or mini boss character. The other thing I liked is that even though this was more you know hack and slash. Uh, as the I believe the ter- the proper term is, um, there's still some right. strategy involved in these games because you know each stage was like a battle and you had you you had the choice of like a couple different characters to pick from for uh, to play on that particular battle stage and you had objectives where it's like okay we gotta go and we gotta take these forts or um, oh they got siege weapons we need to take out the siege weapons you know things like that and um, if you didn't do things properly. <laughs> or you know, like you you could lose, uh, especially if uh, certain characters that you're supposed to keep alive get killed during the battle. You know, it's like it's like then you automatically lose. So you know, it's like if if a 
one of the NPC characters on your side is like, um, I'm in trouble, help me, you better go and help, because if you don't, <laughs> they could end up dying, and then you lose the stage, and you gotta start all over again. So, it, that, that, that definitely appealed to me, it was more than just not just straightforward, just like, uh, I must kill everything in sight, and then the, the, the thing is over. Um, you had objectives to achieve, which I really liked. Right, the format does allow for some flexibility, and such as uh, ba- what basically amount to escort missions, notably uh, the Battle of Changban, where Liu Bei is fleeing from Cao Cao, and this is and historically slash in the novelization, Zhao Yun is portrayed as saying Liu Bei's son, mm-hmm. and this is also the scene where Zhang Fei does his notorious one man stand at the at that one bridge. Yes. You shall not pass. Yeah, it's like very, very reminiscent of uh, it's like Gandalf Lord of the Rings. You shall not pass. That was basically what he was doing. It's like, it's like holding the bridge so that no one could cross. I remember. I, I've I've never read the actual novel, but I've read a lot about how that's portrayed. So it's like um, it's been redone in so many games, but with little changes here and there. Yeah, that, that's uh, definitely one of the more famous battles, but probably the. The two most famous campaigns basically boil down to the battle at Hulao Gate, mm-hmm. where it's the Allied forces against Dong Zhuo, and the battle of Red Cliffs or Chibi. Yep, which is the forces of, of Wei under Cao Cao against the United Forces of Wu and what would eventually become Shu Liu Bei's group. Yeah, that the the Battle of Red Cliff or Chibi is such a major one Chinese history. It's uh it's been memorialized in film more than once, including um uh, a large epic film called Red Cliff, uh, directed by uh, John Woo, famous uh, director. So it's because uh, that's where because um, it looked like Cao Cao was on the verge of you know taking control of China completely, and so Wu and Shu were like, alright, no, we gotta stop this, and they decided to join forces, and they had some of the best strategists at the time, and they came up with a battle plan that worked, that uh, led to the complete destruction of Cao Cao's uh, fleet of ships. Yeah, it helped that Cao Cao was not an experienced naval commander, and was able to be manipulated into the position, thanks in no small part to one of our personal favorite characters, Pang Tong, mm-hmm. suggesting that that the ships get chained together. Yep, which allowed them to launch a fire attack, which com- which spread through uh, from one ship to the other very quickly and set the entire fleet ablaze. Yeah, this plan was masterminded by Zhu Liang and Zhou Yu. Pang Tong played his part, as we mentioned, as did Huang Gai, who launched the lone ship that would start the actual fire attack. Mm-hmm. And I imagine a little baby Lu Jun was very, very impressed by this, since popular depiction of that character is that he's a pyromaniac. Yep. <laughs> now, in, in, in reality, they got lucky that the winds was blowing in a certain direction when they did this, which allowed the fire to spread through the rest of the ships to flee very quickly. In the game, it's displayed as Zhuge Liang praying for the wind to 
blow in a specific direction, and, you know, it's like, you have to, in some of the versions of the battle, depending on which version of the game you play, um, you have to protect him uh, as he's trying to enact the prayer so that it will succeed and that the that the wind will blow in the right direction to uh, uh, burn the fleet. And if you don't, well, then that, that changes uh, things <laughs> sometimes. And then the battle goes in a completely different direction. But uh, that's always the big one because that defeat pretty much uh, set Sao Sao back majorly. Which is why the uh, the Three Kings period lasted uh, over 100 years. You know, just <laughs> because it's like mm. none of the three factions could be able to get one leg up on the other for decades at a time. And it's like until until the the Sima family took over way, and that was like the that was the turning point, at least according to the games in the in the novel. But probably there's some fact to it as well. I want to turn back to that other battle, the Battle of Hulao Gate, mm -hmm, yeah, because. That one left a heck of an impression on you. All, all you open the gate, and there's Lu Bu. <laughs> yeah, that's where I fell in love with the Lu Bu character. It's like he's he's, he's probably my favorite, just because of how he's depicted. You know, he's just this large. Uh, I want. It's like he's all like he 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 loves battle. He's obsessed with like getting challenged. To prove that he's like the best, he's the strongest. Not the sharpest knife in the drawer. Doesn't care for strategy very much. Which eventually, in a lot of the later games, is depicted as being his downfall. Which is how he ends up uh, getting defeated and, and killed, sadly. But, you know, that's the way it goes. <laughs> At least he went out fighting, which is the way he wanted to go. He wanted to, you know. <laughs> but um, it's his, also his voice actor, uh, the who's been voicing him, Jesus, uh, all these years. It's like, uh, it's, it's the way he does the character, so entertaining. Is there no one who will give me a decent challenge? Rah! It's like, you know, it's <laughs> it's just so over the top, I just love it. And also it helps that he also he's one of the most powerful characters in the game. Seriously. That voice actor, by the way, would be Jameson Price. Thank you, I couldn't remember who, his name, thank you. But yeah, it's like that. I that's where I fell in love with that character, and it's like I play the hell out of Lubu in every version of the game I've I've, I've played over the years. <laughs> also, it's nice that they've added a lot more stuff where like Lubu has his own story mode that just like the the Three Kingdoms do. So you you go through his whole thing where you know he's uh comes up under Dong Zhuo. Not every game mentions that he was adopted by Dong Zhuo. He was his adopted son. Some mention it, some don't. <laughs> They more emphasize the whole Dao Chan thing, where Dao Chan is like seducing Lu Bu to be like, you know, maybe you should get rid of the that uh, horrible, you uh, uh, <laughs> fat man. It's like, okay, no problem. And eventually, he betrays Dong Zhuo and tries to establish himself. Uh, and you know, he's got his own followers, but eventually, <laughs> he's such a threat that Cao Cao Lu Bei and the Sun family. All put aside their differences to take him down. <laughs> it shows. It says a lot <laughs> that the three of them, for the only time, work together to take Lubu out because he's such a threat. Hmm. Then they go back to fighting each other. Now, now for those of you who uh, who might not immediately be familiar with Jameson Price, he does a lot of voiceovers in other video games and anime, including he's the announcer in the most recent Mortal Kombat. 
Oh, cool. And he was the voice of Paul Phoenix in Tekken 7. He's done a lot of Marvel stuff, including most recently the voice of the Abomination in the current Avengers game on PS4 and Xbox. Mm-hmm. And he's also uh, did narration for Street Fighter 4. Yeah. So he, he gets around. You he does. If you played any num- any number of fighting games over the last decade or so, you've heard this guy. Mm-hmm. Oh, and of course, would not be remiss to mention that uh, one of the reasons we we like Dauchan so much is that Dauchan is voiced by the very awesome Gary Savage. Yes, who we actually happened to meet at my first ever convention experience way back at Toricon in, I want to say, 2013. Yeah, yeah. Very cool in person. <laughs> when she was Absolutely. asked to like recite some of her lines as Dauchan, she happily obliged the audience to uh, quite an ovation. <laughs> <laughs> Be still my beating heart, I think I said. Yeah. <laughs> so that was the fourth was the number four was the first one that I remember playing. And then and then came number five. And I really liked five because it added some new different um, modes besides, you know, just playing through uh, the you know, the kingdoms trying to, you know, achieve victory. There was the um the Empire mode. Um that yeah, Dynasty Warriors four was the first one to have an Empire's game, but yep. Five oh, that was was separate, where it right. really came into its own. Yeah, that had the uh, oh yeah the destiny mode, where you basically you create your own character, you create your own custom character, and you choose which kingdom you want to join. Um, you start out as a basic soldier. Um, oh wait, that was a, that was in the Extreme Legends expansion though. But uh, that was a really cool mode where basically it's like you get to create your own character and choose which kingdom you want to fight for and move up the ranks. So that was that that was that was a cool. Uh, I like that that feature very much. And um, the Empire's was more akin to the Romance of the Three Kingdoms strategy kind of thing, where it's like you're you, you got like the grid of China, and you're working on conquering one piece at a time. You know, it's like in your, and you know, it's like it's it's strategy and chess where you're trying to you're competing against the other kingdoms and stuff like that, which is cool. I, I really like that. I know you've been very fond of the. Um, the uh, the empires um, ver- uh, versions of some of the games, especially the later ones, got I think really good. Uh, let's see. Then there was number six. Oh, number six. Yeah, oh, going to dear, number six. What a step backwards. Yeah, yeah. We were. I remember we were both kind of like disappointed in six. Refresh my memory. What were some of the main reasons that 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 one was we didn't enjoy that one as much as like four and five? Well, numerous characters were cut, including yeah. the the tribe. We we lost Jiang Wei. We we lost a bunch of others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it went from forty eight characters in Dynasty Warriors five down to forty one. And worse, the majority of the characters did not have individual move sets. They were effectively clones of each other in terms of their gameplay. Right. Yeah. Yes. That was not cool. They restored Meng Huo for the Empire's version of that of that game, mercifully. Mm-hmm. But it wouldn't be until Dynasty Warriors 7 when the series really got back on track. Yeah. 
yeah, because in seven, that's when um, Simi Yi and his family and the 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 Jin became a story mode where like they, because the games up to that point ended pretty much when uh around uh, when um Simi Yi defeated uh Shu and uh, you know the death of Zhuge Liang, which was the beginning of the end for uh, the Kingdom of Shu. That's usually where the games would end, you know, it's, you know, hinting that you know what would uh, way morphing into Jin's eventual um triumph um over the other kingdoms and reunited reunifying China into one country again. They went more into that in that game where it's like uh went beyond that, you know, it's like showing how the uh, Sima family eventually usurped uh Cao Cao's uh descendants and took control of Wei. Uh, it should be renamed Jin, and they eventually they took they finished off what uh, the others, what uh, Xiao Xiao Lu Bei and the Sun family couldn't do is like uh, achieve victory. It's like they eventually defeated Shu uh, and Wu and took over took complete control of China and uh, began the Jin Dynasty. So you get to see that starting with seven and. Um, which is good because it's like it allows a lot more. It's very interesting and gives you more characters and some more options and stuff. And a lot of the gameplay that we liked that was brought back for seven, which was a good, which was good. And a still lot of more would be at, would be brought back from other iterations. But anyhow, Dynasty Warriors Eight is basically more the same as seven, mm-hmm. and then Dynasty Warriors Nine again, goes in a radical new direction. This It's the first installment of the game to be completely open world. Yeah, very different. Now, you can speak more to that because I haven't really played 9. I've, I have I still have 8. I'm still fooling around with 8 on my computer. Uh, the Extreme Legends um, uh, version, so it's, like, it's got everything. And I'm really enjoying it. But um, you've played 9 more with... Uh, how has the open world worked for uh, the game, in your opinion? Well, for starters, uh, you don't actually trigger any of the major battles until you take on a particular mission to do them. So the Battle of Chibi doesn't start until you speak to Zhuge Liang or whomever the officer is who fills in for Zhuge Liang if you happen to be playing as him. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're free to just wander around and establish your own little personal homestead where the other officers can wind up visiting you and collecting resources. That This game falls, let's makes me fall victim, rather, to the, ooh, shiny over there, ooh, shiny over there, the mm. mock version of ADD that people think is actual ADD when in reality yeah. ADD is much more complex. But if you like wandering around finding things and using them to build up better weapons, then yeah, this is the game for you. But every character has only in their story mode only exists in the time period where they're known to exist, which is something that most Dynasty Warriors games do. Mm -hmm, Yeah. But, you know, if you're going to be playing as Pang Tong, for instance, you know, who's usually my frame of reference because that he's easily my favorite character in the franchise. (laughs) What can I say? I love the supporting characters. Yeah. 
He's great. You know, you start around the Battle of Chibi and you go through the the beginning of what will become Shu and since Pang Tong dies just before Liu Bei can establish the Shu kingdom due to uh, Pang Tong being mistaken for Liu Bei because he happened to borrow Liu Bei's horse, you know, the, the game stops yeah. there. And, you know, you, it depicts Pang Tong as having survived that ambush, racing back to warn Liu Bei, but, you know, the game concludes there for him. Whereas if you're playing as someone with a long history, like Guan Yu or or Zhang Fei, you you better brace yourself starting from the Yellow Turban Rebellion going all the way through to the the big point where hostilities between Shu and Wu commence in full. That that battle is the name of that battle escapes me. Yeah, I'd have to look it up. But that reminds me of the things changing from the quasi-historical events. That's one of the interesting features of uh, number eight that I've been working on because um, in the story modes, they follow what's in, you know, off the novels and, and history for each story mode. But there's a thing in the game where um, if you replay, uh, if you're able to achieve certain specific conditions in certain battles, allows you to unlock other stages, and also, if you get them all up to a certain point, uh, if you nail all the specific objectives that are, you can open up a different branch in the story mode. That's like a what-if, where it shows, like, well, what if, uh, like, for Wei, like, what if Cao uh, Cao didn't lose uh, the Battle of Red Cliffs, GB? What would happen after that? Showing, you know, him eventually, you know, achieving complete victory. Or, like, uh, what if Lu Bu, you know, like, survived and, like, he was able to be triumphant? You know, it's like... But those are tricky because, it's like, you gotta... The, some of the conditions to hit on some of these stages are really tough on them. And um, they've been challenging. I've been able to get some of the stuff unlocked, but there's still others that are still stymieing me. Which is why I'm still... <laughs> I'm, still <laughs> I'm still playing it. And I, I haven't... Uh, and also, it's like... I mean, eventually we'll play 9 probably at some point. Um, especially when it's on sale. But, uh... I found the battle I was looking for, and it actually ties into what you're ah. talking about. It's the Battle of Fan Castle. Ah, okay. And one of those what-if scenarios is probably one of the most out there of the bunch, and it ties into Fan Castle. Because if you do, do a certain things way at the beginning of the game, of all characters, the Yellow Turbans will arrive to reinforce Shu. Yeah, um... Because uh, I, I I I'm getting there because um in the in in eight XL in in shoe story mode the first stage is um Lu Bei and uh, Guan Yu and Zhang Fei participating um in putting down the Yellow Turban Rebellion and there are certain conditions where if you if you achieve them uh you spare the leader of the Yellow Turban Rebellions. And so, therefore, he will show up later to help you <laughs> because uh, because uh, uh, to help Lu Bei and Shu because of what you did. And that's if you if you do the if you achieve that outcome on the stage when you play it, so it's just really wild because it's like, uh, <laughs> oh yes, my children. He's uh, he's pretty out there <laughs> in his characterization. 
So it's a little yeah, weird. I think he gets the short end of the of the straw yeah. when it comes to his depiction because he does. in the history and the novels, he's genuinely upset at the way the Han Dynasty is treating the, the peasants and oh, absolutely. leads the rebellion to try to get them a better deal. And we're supposed to be empathizing with the people who are crushing it. Yeah. Yeah, you, you feel bad because like it's like, you know, they're just like poor people who are trying to or rebelling because you know it's like they're they're it's like they're not getting food they're not getting anything from you know the government you know like the you know the the the, the emperor and stuff and that's why the yellow turbo rebellion is marked as the beginning of the three kingdoms era because that rebellion showed you know Sao Sao and others that you know the Han emperor and the current ruling government were weak and so therefore that's when a lot of the scheming began to uh, either take control of the weak emperor or eventually, you know, take his place, and, and which led to the, you know, the hundred plus years of uh, craziness. But yeah, that is pretty wild that <laughs> they of all people will show up as to help you um, <laughs> in that stage if you do the do the alternate conditions. So um, yeah, I'm still working on that and also trying to get some of the more higher powerful weapons. Those you got to earn as well. There's some that you can buy, but like the, the, the really like super uber powerful ultimate weapons, it's like you got to earn by in certain battles after you meet certain conditions. So it's like it takes some work, but um, I'm still having fun and with you know, it. It was the earning of weapons that was probably the one one of the things that drove me the craziest in Dynasty Warriors Four, oh, uh, because yeah. some of them were carried by a specific officer who would pop up at seemingly the exact opposite end of the map you were at, mm-hmm. and then would try to escape to another area. And if you missed him, you had to do the whole thing all over again. Yeah. So annoying. That's where you need, like, you need to make sure you had, like, the best horse possible, like, you know, red hair or something. So you can be able to move, get over there as quickly as possible, because if you don't get there within a certain amount of time, it's like you, you're going to miss them. And it's like, it, it's... I remember, yeah, that was always frustrating. It's like, I gotta get over there to kill that guy and get the weapon. It's like, and then if you don't get there, it's like, ugh. It's like, you gotta replay the stage all over again. Not fun. So do you have a favorite ending in the series? Oh, ooh, that's a good question. Um, I think... Um, well, while you think about it, I, yeah. I can tell you mine. Go ahead. Go ahead. It actually comes from Dynasty Warriors 9, and it is Lu Linqui's ending, you know, Lu Bu's daughter, where it's oh. depicted years after she's basically retired, and Zhang Liao, who was one of Lu Bu's buddies, who later joins the Kingdom of Wei, manages to recover Lu Bu's weapon and gives it to her. And we see these two regular... Uh, soldiers struggling to carry this massive heavy weapon <laughs> and it really drives home just how strong lubu and then in turn his daughter were when you know we see his daughter able to lift it and wield it successfully even though she struggles just a little you know compared to these strapping men it, you know she she can handle it just fine and it drives home that you know She's content now, staying away from the battlefield, and is happy to have this reminder of her father. 
That's really cool. I'll, you know, I'll, she, I look forward it's to nice it. that they give this fem- it's nice that they give this female character a happy ending without having to attach her to a romantic interest. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, like not that, that there's anything wrong with having a romantic interest. Hello, Sun Shang Zhang and Liu Bei. But variety's nice. Yeah, I like that. Oh, oh well, something for me to look forward to when I finally uh, play uh, number nine. That's really cool. Because, uh, yeah, she's a character in eight as well that you can play. And um, at the end of Lubu story mode where um, he's defeated in his final defeat and he's uh, he's executed by Cao Cao and, and uh, that's when Jimmy Liang decides to join Wei. Um, she's shown that she tries to rescue him but he tells her nope nope get you know get out of dodge go 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 until she she escapes alive uh at the end of the story mode i think my one of my favorite endings is um i think it's from i can't remember if it's five or seven it's uh it's it's the one where um sima yin wei emerged triumphant over julie liang and shu when julie liang uh dies during the battle where it's like um Sim is like happy he's dead, but also kind of like he's like, ah, oh, but he was my greatest rival. It's like who's gonna really be able to challenge me going forward? And it's like, he, yeah, he was his enemy, but he respected Shuge Liang, and it's kind of like kind of bummed that he's gone in a way, even though he, you know, it's like it's like it, yes, it's good that he's gone, which means that Shu is weaker now, and you know, it's like we will eventually triumph, but kind of like ah, uh, I'm gonna miss him because he, he really. He challenged me, you know. It's like he was he was a, a great rival kind of thing. So there's like like a respect there, which I found kind of kind of very uh, appealed to me. I was like I was like, well, that's cool. Okay. One of the ones I just got was um, I like the end of the Jin storyline in uh, Eight uh, Extreme Legends. Um, because uh, uh, Sima's sons is to see him, and the one son uh, after his brother uh, dies uh, takes over and. Uh, he was the more of the, um, he was the carefree kind of one where he's just like, uh, he, he wasn't like the worried about, you know, like being a leader and responsible and where it's like, he has a lot of character growth during the story mode where eventually it's like, uh, he's like, yeah, you know, he, he's earned being, uh, the heir and, and like achieving a complete victory where it's like, uh, it's like he, he becomes a good leader and it's like in listens to his strategist and stuff like that and um, makes good decisions. So it's it's a fun character growth uh, to watch while you're playing the story mode. Um, uh, which Very nice. Character? Uh, I'll look him up. I forget which which uh, member of the Sima family he is. I'll look it up real quick here. Sima Zhao. Yeah, I, I had a feeling it was him. Yeah, I really... And that's what I really like. He's usually the one who thing. grows... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it's like I, I really became a fan of Sima Zhao as a character playing uh, the the Jin story mode. So that was I I really liked it. So so one last question, where do you want to see the series go next? Hmm, that's a good question. You know, I I I don't, I, don't, I like open world stuff as long as it's done well. Maybe have like a like a combination of the two maybe. Uh, you know, it's like if it's possible where you have like you have the story modes, but also you have, you have like um, the open world option is also there. So you know, maybe have okay. a little bit of both. That that would be interesting. More, a little more uh, 
because the open world nature of nine does restrict what it can do in terms of uh, some of the more elaborate set pieces that the previous games were known for. So if the major battles like Chibi, Fancastle, Hulao Gate, and so on were depicted as their own things, whereas some of the more minor stuff was done in the open world, I, I could see that potentially working. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, oh, wouldn't also be remiss that um, this game series is so popular that um, recently in China they uh, did a movie adaption based on the video games. Right. It's currently on Netflix, so if you have Netflix, it's on there. Unfortunately, James and I have not had the time to check it out, but um, just from the trailer that we Very saw a month ago, it looks like the video game come to life. <laughs> it looked pretty bonkers, but I wanted, I still, I still need to check it out because it'll probably be a, like just yes. over the top funness. We will, we will watch it very soon. And you know, if if ancient Chinese warlords aren't your thing, there's been a number of spinoffs that go into other franchises. Mm-hmm. Dynasty Warriors' formula has been applied to the Gundam franchise. It's been applied to Fist of the North Star, to One Piece, yeah. to Fire Emblem, The Legend of Zelda, and and Dragon Quest, and Omega Force, the developer of of the of this uh, series, would love to get their hands on the Star Wars license someday. Oh sure, and they've they've crossed over with other game franchises. Like the biggest one is um, the Warriors Orochi series, which is like a crossover between the Dynasty Warriors and the Samurai Warriors game game series, which uh. Those are pretty bonkers, but fun. <laughs> I played through the first two. Um, have you played the other, the uh, numbers three and four? I can't remember. I um, have played some of them, and they get even more bonkers. They fold in figures from the Trojan War, and they, they fold in Joan of Arc from the Hundred Years' War in Europe. Oh, wow. And they even bring in Ryu Hayabusa from Ninja Gaiden. Mm-hmm. And I believe the updated version of 3 even adds Sophitia from Soul Calibur. Yeah. They even did a crossover with uh, the very popular Fire Emblem as well. There's a Fire Emblem Warriors game. <laughs> yep. Yep, that's right. That I, I mentioned that amongst the spinoffs. Yeah, it's like... Um, this game series is very popular, as you can tell. It's like when you, when you have this many crossover and interaction with other franchises... <laughs> I'm reading here. Is it Koei's most successful game franchise? Arguably, I mean, it's practically it practically prints money in Japan and the rest of Asia. Here in the states, it's more of a cult thing. Yeah, but it, it's a very devoted cult following. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely a uh, very popular and money maker for Koei for sure. So <laughs> it's why they keep. That's why they keep coming. If you've got a system from PlayStation 2 up to current day consoles, there's got to be a version of it out there for you to check out, probably for pretty cheap, and see if it's for you. Mm-hmm. But I think that just about sums it up as far as what we want to say about the series goes for now, at least. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. I'm really glad you introduced me to this uh, game series. It's uh, I've always had fun with it, and we'll uh, be ready to see where Dicey Warriors 10, whenever it will come out, what will it be like. Mm-hmm. And, uh, See where they go next with uh, the franchise. 
In the meantime, we're going to take a short break, and when we return, we'll have Today in Gaming History and the rest of our end of episode uh, um, jibber-jabber. <laughs> we'll see you soon. Want to support the Irregulars? Head over to www.patreon.com backslash FC3ROC. We're part of the media division of Flower City Comic Con, based in Rochester, New York. We're a nonprofit group. Everything we make off of Patreon and everything else we do goes right back into putting on our future conventions and other events, from reserving the facilities to bringing in guests. If you pledge any amount, even a slim dollar, you will receive improved access to my blog entries, where every Tuesday I go over current video game news and write retrospectives on old-school arcade games, all delivered conveniently to your inbox. There's plenty of other perks and rewards, and if you don't see what you're looking for, reach out to the crew. They'll be happy to work with you. Want to get a hold of us in particular? You can email Christy directly at k-r-i-s-s-i at fc3roc.org. And me at J-A-M-E-S at F-C-3-R-O-C dot org. At the moment, we're still working out most social media matters, but we are indeed on Facebook at Gaming Street Irregulars. Chrissy and I are fairly frequently there sharing news and things we find cool. And begging, I mean asking, for your questions and answers to be used in upcoming episodes. Yeah, asking. That's the ticket. We love hearing from you all, whether you have praise, constructive criticism, or just want to share something cool and gaming-related yourselves. Also, wherever you find FC3 on social media, we're usually not too far behind, so if you reach out to them with something for us, they'll get it to us shortly. Legally speaking, all music, sound effects, voice clips, and so on are the properties of their respective owners. We make no claim to them and have no intention of profiting off of them. Please don't sue us. We have nothing you'd want. All right, so... Today in gaming history, we actually tie back to a series we we alluded to a couple times in the main body of the podcast, Soul Calibur. Soul Calibur 2 made its United States and Canada debut today, August 26th, in 2003. And this was the, the iteration of the series where the whole guest stars and fighting games phenomena really took off. Because... In the three versions, there was one for Xbox, one for PlayStation 2, and one for GameCube. Each one had its own individual guest character. PlayStation 2 had probably the most pedestrian one, Heihachi from Tekken. You know, n- no, not exactly a surprise since Namco, the creator of Soul Calibur, also created Tekken. On the Xbox, they had Todd McFarlane's comic book character Spawn of all things. Mm -hmm. And on the GameCube, probably the one that sold the most units because you could play as Link from The Legend of Zelda. That that high-pitched noise, I think I just heard in the background, is Chrissy going squee at the mention of Link. (laughs) She loves her Legend of Zelda. Oh, yes. 
basically from there the floodgates were open and now we have soul caliber games where it seems like a fifth of the roster are guest characters and this phenomena has crossed jumped to other fighting game series where you have akuma and geese howard showing up in tekken alongside negan from the walking dead and you get Freddy Krueger and the Terminator and Jason Voorhees showing up in Mortal Kombat games and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles appearing in DC Comics and Justice series and on and on where now guest character speculation is every bit as prominent in the in fighting games as just when's the next one going to come out and what the new characters are going to be about the only series that has avoided it so far is Street Fighter. Oh, really? Yeah, but then again, they're they're pulling from other Capcom games enough as it is. Mm. The next round of Street Fighter DLC will include the first character to cross over from Rival Schools. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I, I played a lot of Rival Schools in college, and so I'm very happy to see Akira back. Nice. So the last thing I want to mention is if you want to see me and my regular co-host Chrissy and the co-host of my other podcast, Mr. Pembroke W. Corgi, live and in person, you can come see us at 6th Flower City Comic Con, where we search for the fifth one, which we lost due to the pandemic, on mm. September 25th and 26th at the Total Sports Experience in Gates. I will be there both days, volunteering, running around. And I will be running a panel each day. on On Saturday, I'll be I'll be doing one with Chrissy, and on Sunday, I'll be doing one with Pembroke. And if you feel safe attending, we hope to see you there. If not, we understand. Absolutely. And I think that's going to just about do it. So, on behalf of Justin Toner, I'm James Irish. Thank you for listening to Gaming Studio Regulars, and as always, game on. Take this! <laughs>